Once again, thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online or the podcast. This is our last sermon in the series Connecting with God. And if you want to follow along in your own Bible, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't want to follow along, you can see it on the screen. I will make a plug for next week. We're starting a new series, and that series is about navigating a confusing culture. If you've ever had ethical issues that you've wondered, how do I answer this? This would be one of the series you, would, you don't want to miss. But that's next week. Today, we're continuing connecting with God And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And the Holy Spirit not only inspired him to write those words to the church in Ephesus, but he also inspired Paul to write these words so that they would mean something to us as well. So let's hear what he has to say. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore remember that at one time... You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray once again. Um, Lord, there is so much that we could talk about from your word today. Give us a singular view of what you've done for us in Christ, that we would see who you have made us to be and we would live like it. And for those of us who have not yet known 
the grace of Christ in our lives. Lord, let today be the day that by your spirit you draw them to yourself and they would see that you really are good, that they would know that you really do love sinners and that you really are the God who saves. Amen. I'm assuming that a good number of you know the name M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, If you don't know who that is, he is a director of many movies. You probably wouldn't have known him from the movie that came out, I think, in 1999 or 2000, somewhere in that general area, uh, The Sixth Sense. That is his biggest hit, probably, so far. But did you know that that wasn't his first movie? There, there were movies before that movie. That movie was the one that, where he hit the big time, but there were two movies before that. The first one was independently produced, but the second one was this film, Wide Awake. And if you've never heard of this film, there's a reason for that. It did not get much press, it did not do well in the theaters, and it did not stay long in the theaters. But it's a neat story. The movie is about a kid named Joshua. He's 10 years old. And his grandfather has died. And now Joshua wants to know what's happened to my grandfather. Is my grandfather still alive in some sense? Does he still exist? Or was death the end? And if he is still alive, if he still is in some way existing, what is that existence like? Is it good? Is it bad? What's going on with my grandfather? That's what he wants to know. And during one scene in the movie, Joshua is talking to his friend Dave. And he tells Dave that he wants to go on a mission. And Dave says, what kind of mission? And Joshua says, well, you know, the kind where you're looking for something important. And he's, okay, well, what are you looking for that's important? And Joshua says, God. I'm on a mission to find God. And and Dave thinks that's ridiculous and tells him so. And then when Joshua says, well, why do you think think it's ridiculous? He says, because you can't look for God. And Joshua says, well, why not? Why can't I look for God? And Dave says, where in the world are you going to look? Where in the world are you going to look? Honestly, that's a great question. Where in the world would you look for God? See, we all tend to think God is in heaven, period. I mean, we were taught, if you grew up in the church, you were taught to pray, our Father who is in heaven, right? And so there's some truth there. Yes, God does dwell in heaven. So it seems ridiculous to say we're going to search for God. We're going to look for God on earth. And yet there is an incredible truth that I hope all of you leave here understanding better today that God isn't just up in heaven. He isn't just up there somewhere. He isn't merely in the heavenly realms. He has dwelt and is dwelling and will dwell with us, even here on earth.
Yes. God dwells in heaven, but He has also promised that He will dwell with His people. And so today, if we're going to try to connect with God, we've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about how we cannot connect with God apart from Jesus. We've talked about how we connect with God by engaging with Scripture and by praying. We've talked about how we engage with God through humility and repentance. Today is probably the most surprising one of all. As we engage with God's people, we connect with God. That's surprising to many of us, probably. As we engage with God's people, we connect with God. Now, some of you have already said, that's ridiculous. Hang in there with me. I think you'll see it as we play this out. Now, turning to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, the apostle, the one who wrote this, was a Jew. And as a Jew, as a religious Jew, he would have seen the world divided into two categories. There were the Jews, the nation of Israel, God's people, the one through, to whom the, the true and living God had revealed himself. And then everybody else, they were Gentiles. They were outside of the people of God. And so the Jews saw themselves as we are the chosen people of God and everybody else is not. Then Jesus comes on the scene and changes everything. As we see in verse 11 and following, Paul says, therefore remember, he's writing to the church in Ephesus who has both Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, by flesh of hands. Remember that you, you Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, the way that they were seeing the Gentiles, they had no hope. And God was not with them the way that God was with his people Israel. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The idea here is that because Jesus died for people's sins. He shed His blood to uh, bring atonement. He, he did something that we could not do. He made our sins white as snow. He washed them away by His own death. Sin deserves death, and we're all sinners. But Jesus took that death upon Himself so that anyone who believed in Him they would not have to face death finally. Death is on a short leash now because death is doomed. And one day we will all experience that. And Jesus has not only died for Jews, but he died for 
Gentiles. And then he rose from the dead to bring these two separate peoples together. And then Paul says in verse 14 and following, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is the peace. Jesus is the peace that we have with God, and Jesus is the peace that we have with one another. Who has made us, that is Jew and Gentile, both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, and now that wall has been torn down because of Jesus. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace and might reconcile us both, both Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a lot there, a lot in that passage, but I want you to get this. What Jesus has done in his death and resurrection is he has removed any reason for any groups of people to be separate. I'm trying to let that sink in for you to really think about it. There is no group of people out there that if they believe in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, that we can't be together. That's what Jesus has done. Here, here's the idea. If we have sinned against God and God has brought us into his family, then how can we look at one another and say, well, you can't be part of my family? When God has treated us so kindly, so graciously, so mercifully, when he's brought in a wretch like me into his family, how can I look at someone else and say, oh, you believe in Jesus, but you're not like me, so no. We can't do that. And, and that's what Paul is getting at here, that God has brought people together because of Jesus. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, both the Gentiles and the Jews. Verse 18, for through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. How is it that we have access to God the Father? It is through Jesus by the power of the Spirit, we all have access to the Father. Now that's for those of us who believe. That's for those of us who believe in Jesus. We have access to the God of the universe because of what Jesus has done and by the power of the Spirit. Verse 19, so then you who believe are no longer strangers to God or to one another. And you're no longer aliens. You're no longer those people out there. You've got a home. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. As we sang earlier today, God in Christ has made us his own. We're his people. 
Jesus is our brother, and he's not ashamed to call you his family. And I know for some of us that you're like, that can't be true, Stuart. You don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. And Jesus does, and he still says, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my family if you believe in me. Isn't that good news? Isn't that the kind of thing? Look, we all want belonging. We all want someone who will say, no matter what we've done, no matter what has happened in our lives, we all want someone to say, I love you. I accept you. I want you to be in my life. I want you to be a part of my family. We all long for that a place where we belong, a place where we know we are loved. And Jesus says, if you come to me, you have that. But here's the question that we need to talk about for this series. Is the access that we have to God through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit only a heavenly one. Or let me put it another way. Is our connection with God only, merely, that God is up in heaven and we're able to pray and God will hear our prayers? Is that the only connection that we have with our God? I think some people would say, yes, that's it. That's all there is. God's in heaven. We're here on earth, period. That's not what the good news teaches. That God stays in heaven. We stay on earth. And if we're good little boys and girls, we get access to him. Nope, it's not that. And it's not even if we believe in Jesus, we get access to God and he stays in heaven and we stay here on earth. No, it's even better than that. God comes to dwell with us. And not just in Jesus, the God who is flesh, but in regular, ordinary believers like me and you. To understand some of this, we can go back all the way to the book of Numbers. I know that's the book that those of you who are really spiritual Christians, you have your, your quiet times, your devotions in every day. But in the book of Numbers, chapter 2, we read this, that the people of Israel, they left Egypt and they're now in the wilderness and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So there was this tabernacle. They called it the tent of meeting. And the entire group of God's people, they, yep, there's the picture, they encamped around it so that the tabernacle was right in the middle, right in the center of where God's people were. Now think about that for a moment. God wanted to be right there in the midst of his people. Not somewhere distant. 
Not so that you have to FaceTime him to be able to get in contact with him. No, we're talking about right there. All an Israelite had to do was open his eyes and look towards the tent of meeting, and he knows God is dwelling with me. That's all he needed to do. And think about, we call it the tabernacle, but think about that other word, the word that's used, the phrase, the phrase that's used over and over and over again in um, Exodus through Deuteronomy, the tent of meeting. Who are they meeting? They're meeting God. God is in their midst. And if you wanted to connect with God, if you wanted to meet with God, there he is right there. Not that the tabernacle is God, but God is dwelling in that tabernacle. He promised he's going to be in that tabernacle. And if you wanted to connect with God, all you had to do was say, okay, God, I know you're with me. I know you're with us. And we don't have a tabernacle anymore. We don't live in tents anymore. Later on in in Israel's history, they built a temple, and the temple took over the place of the tabernacle, but we don't have a temple anymore, at least not a brick-and-mortar temple. Now, you know what the temple is today? It's not this building. It's us. Those of us who believe, we are the temple. And what this passage teaches us is that God joins us together. God joins us together in Christ to grow as his temple, a dwelling place of the Spirit. God joins people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation together as his people, but also as a temple the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Again, see what he says in verses 19 and following. So then you, you who were Gentiles, are no longer strangers. You're not strangers to God, and you're not strangers to God's people. You're not aliens, but you're fellow citizens. You're saints. You're members of the household of God. You're family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What he's saying is, as God brings more and more people in, and as he grows us in maturity, he is building his temple here on earth. And it is not out of bricks and mortar, it's people. Verse 22, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let's go back to Dave's question. Where on earth would you look for God? The surprising answer is his church. Us. That's where you would look for God on earth. That's where we will find God on earth. And if you think, okay, you're reading way too much into that, look at these other passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you, and that word is plural, that's like y'all or all y'all. Do you not know that all y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in all of you? If 
anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you, plural, are that temple. Let me say something. Sometimes people will say, oh, my body is a temple. And what they mean by that is, I try to treat my body well. Christian, your body is a temple because God the Spirit resides in you. But you yourself are not the temple. The temple is everybody that God has brought together. You're just one part of that temple. The Spirit dwells in you, but he's piecing all of us together to be a temple, one temple, not thousands and millions and billions of temples, but one temple. Again, we, we confess this in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5 earlier today. Here's what the passage actually says. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones and you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, it's all of us together that God is building to be a temple. So where in the world are you going to find God? It's in the midst of His people. If we're God's people... God is in our midst right now. And this is one of the reasons why being together is so important. Don't miss this. This is one of the reasons why being together is so important. If where we find God is among His people, then being together is vital. If we really want to connect with God, we've got to get it into our heads that the whole vision of a guy going up to a mountain and being by himself for the rest of his life or a guy going out into the desert for the rest of his life is not normal. God can meet someone on top of a mountain. He did with Moses. God can meet with someone who goes out into the desert. He did with Jesus. But Moses came back down and Jesus came out of the desert and he went back to people. In the same way, there are times where we need to get away from everybody to get right with God. To fill up. But then God calls us to get right back in there. Because where he dwells is in the midst of his people. Here on earth. And we, we've heard uh, this passage, for those of you who've been in church for a while, uh, you probably heard this passage from Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage focuses on how we need each other to stir one another up to love, to stir one another up to good works, to encourage one another. But you know what? We can't do that apart from God's presence. (laughs) I know this because when I try to encourage people, 
it usually falls flat. Sometimes when people try to encourage me, it falls flat. But if God is in the midst of his people and God is the one who is using your words or my words or someone else's words, it's going to accomplish what he sends it out to do. That's the good news of why we need each other. Where on earth would you find God? It's in his church, not the building, the people. Now, Maybe you're thinking, Stuart, I've been to gatherings like this one, and I'm going to tell you, I did not sense God's presence there. Maybe you're even thinking that today. I don't feel God. I don't sense that God's here. Okay. What if I told you it's possible, it's at least possibility that the problem isn't with God there. When I get into my car, I'm not a radio guy, but when I get into my car and I turn on the radio and I got a favorite station, I can turn the radio on and I listen to the music or whatever it is I want to listen to whenever I want to at that very moment. But the radio waves are always there, right? They're always there. It's not like I turn on the radio and then suddenly the radio waves are over in China somewhere and they go, Zoom! that's not how it works. The radio waves are all around us. We just need to be tuned in. How many times are we just not tuned in to God's presence? because we're so distracted by other things. We're worried about what people are thinking of us. We're worried about how we're dressed. We're worried about what our hair looks like. We're worried about, did someone hear me singing? I sounded like a dying frog. It's just whatever it is, we're so consumed with thinking about ourselves that we're not tuned in to God. No wonder so many times we come into a worship service like this and we don't feel his presence because we're so self-focused. How could we focus on anything else? Or maybe, maybe we are tuned in. But it's like, like my wife sometimes likes to listen to radio when we're all a family driving and she has the radio on low. Now, I hate listening to music low. It's either listen to it loud or don't listen to it at all. And when I'm saying loud, I mean loud, but you know. But when you're in the car and you're listening to the radio and it's just like barely there, some of us are like that where we've, we're tuned into God, but it's just kind of barely there, barely there. I need to turn the volume we need to listen. We need to know the Spirit's work in us in more powerful ways. And if you're not feeling it, pray about that. Pray, God, I want to know your presence. I want to connect with you. I want more of you. I, I will tell you. Um, so 
<laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like coming here. Is that surprising to hear a pastor say? Sometimes I wake up on Sunday mornings and I go, oh, I got to do it all over again. And I come, and like this morning, I go into Sunday school and I hear the words of my fellow brothers and sisters and it stirs up in me something. And I go, wait a second, God is with us. God is in me. God is in them. God is drawing us out. And I just want that to happen more and more. We need that as a church. We need that as his people. We need that. If we want to see people come to faith, we need that. Um, Marva Dawn in her book, A Royal Waste of Time, says this. And I love this quote. If believers worship with gladness and passion... Anyone not yet part of the community certainly will be attracted to the one who is the object of their worship. If, if we're really engaged and we're like, God is with us, this is awesome, when someone who is an unbeliever comes in, they're not going to go, oh man, this is boring. No, they're, they're going to go, wow, these folks are really connecting with God, I want what they've got. Or, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Don't you want that? Don't you want to see people coming in and they go, God is really here among this group of people. I long for that. But God is here. If we're his people, the only other option is we're not his people. If that, that's a completely different problem. One more thing I gotta say about the worship service. I know that sometimes people come in and they go, ah, it's worship service. You sing, you pray, you listen to some guy talk, and yeah, whatever. Years ago, I heard uh, Annie Dillard, and, and she wrote this in a book, uh, Teaching a Stone to Talk. And, and it's just stuck with me, and, and, and I thought this is appropriate for today. Talking about the worship service. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke when we come into a worship service? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. I hope so. I hope that God takes us out where we will never return, where we will be with him in a way we've never been before. Lord Jesus, make it so.
All right, so your action point. If all of this is true, here's what you and we need to do. Prioritize being with God's people. Yeah, go to your prayer closet and pray. Spend time by yourself with God, yes. But prioritize being with God's people. If what I've said is true, and what I've said is from the scriptures, then when we join together like this, God is in our midst. Are we going to believe that? Or are we just going to go, eh, I don't believe it. It's just another meeting. Just another organizational meeting where we all kind of get together and we just sing some songs, do this, do that, but God's not really involved. Look, if that's the case, I don't want nothing of it. Find another pastor. I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's a social club. I can find a social club anywhere I go, and I don't have to get up early on Sunday morning to do it. But if God is in our midst, and we are encouraging one another to see that, man, get me there every single Sunday. I want that. So let's prioritize those things. And look, to prioritize, I know this is going to be a tough one for some of us, Please don't kill the messenger. To prioritize means to put one thing above other things. And that means there are really good things. Really good things. Excellent things that you could be doing. That you're going to have to say no to if you want to prioritize being with God's people. Again, don't kill the messenger. That's just true. If we're going to prioritize being together, then sometimes we're going to have to say no to things that are awesome to do. They're just not as awesome. So, folks, let's enjoy the communion we have with God as we gather together as his people. And I'm going to pray that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, Cause me, cause these folks and and the folks who aren't even here today that we would all grow in enjoying the communion we have with you as we gather together as your people. And Lord, if we're not feeling it, if we're not sensing your presence, Lord, show us where our sin is, where our um, where the things are that are causing us to not feel or sense or experience where you are because you are with us. You promised. If we're not getting it, cause us to repent and believe anew that we really would be your people and we would rejoice and sing and shout for joy because of what you have done in being with us in Christ by the Spirit. Cause all this to be the case for all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.